Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. Uh, We're going to focus on on two things today. So the first thing I want to focus in on today is apparently Mother's Day, right? Amen. So if all the moms could stand up and let's give us a, give you a round of applause. There's all the moms. Thank you. God bless you, mom. And I hope somebody in your family's taking you out to lunch or dinner or something like that because uh, we owe a lot to you ladies. Thank you so much for that. The other thing I want to talk about is today, it falls on today's May 14th. 2023, obviously, and you're like, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about it is is Israel's 75th anniversary of uh, reconstituting as a nation again, and that's where I want to spend our time. I'm going to take a break in Genesis and then focus in on uh, the prophetic development of Israel, what's going on today, and uh, where we're going from here on. Because um, the significance of Israel, as we try to highlight a lot, and you can see in our prophecy updates, we are always giving you news about what's going on on the ground there, is Israel is God's timepiece. And if you watch Israel and you see the developments that's happening with her, then you know where you're kind of at on the prophetic clock. And that's a key ingredient in understanding prophecy. And so the fact that Israel's back in the land is prophetically significant. I'll show you that today. I'm going to show you uh, Ezekiel's dry bones vision and the beginning of Israel's restoration. Now, the great news about Israel is that um, she's still in unbelief. There is a, a very large now contingent of messianic believers, right, that have come to faith in Messiah in the last 20, 30, 40 years, um, <clears throat> despite how the church has treated Israel. Um, and uh, eventually, Israel will eventually be saved in the tribulation. All of Israel will be saved, according to the Apostle Paul. But what I want to make a point about today is, is twofold. We're going to talk about its f- prophetic development of being restored in Ezekiel 37. I'm not going to go through all of Ezekiel because I, w- I just want to take you up to the point of where we're at today. Because the rest of Ezekiel 37 talks about their, their uh, reestablishment at the second coming and then in the millennial kingdom and whatnot and Jesus ruling and reigning through that country. So I'm just going to take you up to where we're at now so you can see this. And there's several things I want you to draw from that. There's a lot of history I'm going to have to talk about, so I just ask you to bear with me. But here's the thing. Uh, this is what we call prophetic history. And so it's not like you're learning the history of the ancient Greeks or whatever. You're learning history now that involves God's work. And so that being the case, it's important to understand the history and how things develop to see God at at work. Second thing is the, the, the Apostle Paul will use Israel as an example to us on a personal level. And what you have to understand is when you're talking about Israel, you're talking about a nation and a people group. Then when you get into Christianity, we're talking about individuals from all nations. So the church is not a nation. It's made up of all nations together, the goyim, the Gentiles, okay? And, And so what Paul does, he says, look, Israel serves as an example to what God will do for us personally. So... 
the mistake a lot of people do is they, they, they ignore the Old Testament, they ignore what's going on with Israel, and they don't learn valuable lessons about themselves because that's how you're supposed to apply Israel is on a personal level. So when you see how God has disciplined Israel, then restores them back based on his promises and will resurrect the nation, well, the same promise is made to them and God is trustworthy and will fulfill them, is how we increase our faith and trusting in God's promises to us on an individual level. If he's gonna resurrect Israel, he will resurrect you. You can see the one-to-one correspondence. Uh, we, we, we get disciplined, and, and that, and, but then we repent and we come back, and then he restores us back. So you'll see that with Israel as a nation. The same thing will apply. So what I want you to do is understand this on a nationalistic level, but then I'll try to apply it to our personal lives and what this implies, okay? So one other note. If you get anything out of this, if, if, if anything out of this sermon today, you're gonna remember one thing. All I need you to remember is this. You must support Israel, okay? That's it. Now, it doesn't mean I support them politically because they do stupid moves like vaccinating you know, almost their entire population. That was a stupid move. Uh, so it doesn't mean that because I'm a Christian Zionist that I believe in what all their politics and I agree with their politics because a lot of times they do stupid things, left, leftist types of mentality. What is a Christian Zionist? It means that I support Israel's right to live in their homeland that God gave them and I support them as a people group that there shouldn't be anti-Semitism towards them, that they should be able to survive and, and be able to thrive as a people group, and that we support that. That's it. If you learn anything today, you must pass this on to your family, though. Because some of the illustrations I'm going to give you today come from a parent passing that sentiment on to their children, and that child did something to save Israel's neck. So you just never know who you're talking to. You might be talking to one of your children where they one day will be in a position to help Israel and what you said to them helps Israel. Because God says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And so you have to remember that. You bless Israel, God will bless you. And that's, so that's valid today. Okay, let's dig in. This is Ezekiel's dry bones vision, the restoration of Israel. So there's some background we need to know. So again, this is Israel's 75th. Now, one of the mistakes that people have made in misinterpreting the Olivet Discourse, and they said, this generation. And a lot of the, the prophecy uh, teachers of, of yesteryear misunderstood this generation. They took it as when Israel became a nation, and then that generation will see you know, the rapture and things of that nature. And they were wrong on that because that's not what the Olivet Discourse is saying. The Olivet Discourse sa says this, the generation, the Jewish generation that sees the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist, that generation will last to the end, that Jewish generation. So it had nothing to do with us living in the time frame where we could set dates from 1948. That's, that was totally wrong, and don't listen to anyone that says that, because they keep extending it, and they say, well, a generation's 40 years. Okay, then it's supposed to be 1988, and he didn't come. And, and so some idiot wrote a book saying, 88 reasons why Jesus come back in 1988. 
Well, he didn't come back, so he wrote a book the following year, 1989, and he said, 89 reasons Jesus didn't come back. And it's like, no, you're a false prophet at that point. So they took it, well, 40, and oh, a generation is 70, and it's 50, and then it's 100, and they kept pushing it out. That's not what the context says. A generation could be anything from 40 to 100 to 80 to 70. It just depends on what text you're in. But in the Olivet Discourse, it's the Jewish generation that sees the abomination of desolation that will live the, the last three and a half years and make it all the way to the second coming. That's how you interpret that passage. So don't use 1948 as a clock, okay? You can't, it's not a count, countdown. It just shows you that something prophetically significant happened, which I'm going to show you. Okay, so Ezekiel 37 starts out like this. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. Now, the idea of the hand of the Lord came upon him means that he actually went into a visionary trance, a prophetic trance, okay? He, so basically, in, this is much like John or Daniel, where God takes them, puts them in a trance, and then transports them in the trance. So physically, they're where they're at, but God takes them in a trance. And where does God take them? He brought me out in the spirit. So it was the Holy Spirit that took them there in the trance and set me in the midst of a valley, of the valley. Well, what valley? Well, he says, not a valley, but the valley. The valley that he's referring to is back in Ezekiel 3.22. And the valley that he's in is significant. It's the Mesopotamian plain of Babylonia, okay? So that's where Israel's at at this time in Ezekiel. They're in the exile in Babylon, okay? So what God does is he takes Ezekiel and puts him in the plain of the Mesopotamian region of Babylonia. Now, why is that significant? Because it's hearkening to tell you that, that in that period of time that Israel is out of our land and in a foreign nation, Babylon, in exile. But the vision is broader than that. And he's saying, now I, I, I went to the same valley that I saw the Shekinah glory. And, and this valley represents the nations, the Goyim nations, the Gentile nations. And, and, and so it's a picture of Israel, not just simply in Babylon, but beyond that, a picture of Israel among the nations out of her land, okay? And it was full of bones. So this, this valley that he's in, this Gentile area, this Babylonian region has bones everywhere, okay? Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And the idea of... of, of the scattering of all these bones in the valley and the idea that they're dry bones means that, um, you know, if you go into a desert and you, you see bones of an animal out there, they're bleached white by the sun because they've been out there so long, right? And, and he's saying that these bones have been out there in the desert among the nations for a very long time, very long, so much so that they're dried up and that they... Um, it seems like, you know, they might as well just turn to dust at that point in time. It looks like nothing can happen. Everything's non-existent among these nations with these bones. They're just, they're useless. They're just bones, okay? This is prophetically significant because in the last 2,000 years, Israel has been scattered among the nations. 
and they looked dried up. And they looked so dried up that the church made a major mistake. The Gentile church became anti-Semitic by as early as the, after the hundreds AD, after the apostles died, the church becomes anti-Semitic, divorces its roots from the Judaic background, and then embraces Greek Hellenistic thought into the church. So it is now because of the Jewish believers coming to faith in the Messiah today that has given us the ideas that, that I try to teach you about Jewish idioms and the Jewish background and the Jewish culture. Because the, the, the commentaries don't tell you that. It is coming from the Messianic Jews telling us and giving us more insight into the scriptures. But without the Jews telling us what the idioms and, and the Hebrew phrases mean, you cults start up, and that's what started happening. The minute the church divorced itself from its Jewish roots and the understanding of Scripture, cults started to misinterpret Scripture because they viewed it from a Hellenistic Greek thought rather than a Jewish thought. And I can tell you right now, the main culprit right now of Hellenistic thought is Calvinism and Arminianism in the church. Those two things derive themselves from fatalistic Hellenistic thought, the Stoics, Manichaean, uh, Manichaeanism, Gnosticism, that infiltrated into church from Greek thought through Augustine, and it's with Calvin and Luther, and it's today known as Calvinism or Arminianism, which is nothing but an importation of Greek thought into theology, which should be translated from a Jewish background, not from a Greek background. So the bones of Israel look dry and they're among the nations. And the nations look at the Jews and the stupid church at that point in time in early church history that divorced themselves from the Jewish background said, God is finished with the Jews. That was the church's mentality. It is the main idea of the church today that God has done with the Jews. And because of that theology, it has created a major cultic problem within the church what we call replacement theology or supersessionism, where now the promises made to Israel now come to the church. How do you see this today? You'll see it in dominion theology. You'll see it in new apostolic reformation. You'll see it in any church. Ask their pastor, what's your view about Israel? If he thinks the church is Israel, that's replacement theology. And then that, that turns into trying to Christianize or not, let me say, cr trying to create a theocracy in America with dominionism and New Apostolic Reformation, all those crazy ideas, of we're going to establish the kingdom without Christ. You're out of your mind if you think that. These pastors telling their people that we're going to establish the kingdom are crazy. That's a heresy. But you, then you look at the, the health and wealth prosperity gospel what are they doing? They're assuming the promises to Israel made for them in the millennial kingdom and saying they're there for the today, calling themselves prophets, calling themselves apostles, saying that they can do the works of Joel chapter two and three, saying they, they, they can do all these wonderful things and be rich in prosperity. And where are they deriving their texts? From Jewish texts made for Israel in the kingdom. So they're, they're stealing the promises, saying it's for them, because the church turned its back. Now, there's always been a remnant church, just like we are, that always saw the prophetic significance of Israel, always for the last 2,000 years, but we've been small, and we're always going to remain small. 
You have to understand that. The majority of the church will practice replacement theology all the way to the end. And in the age of apostasy, this will catch on more than what you can possibly imagine. The dividing line in evangelicalism will be between those who are pro-Israel and anti-Israel. The divide line is starting to happen now. If you ask a woke church, where do they stand with Israel? They'll call Israel an occupier. They'll call Israel an apartheid state. Same mantra as the left. Anyway, let's continue on. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So I'm showing you in verse 11 that the bones represent Israel. Dried among the Gentile nations. Look like they have no hope, right? So that's what the dispersion of the bones are in the valley. It is the Gentile nations, Israel dispersed among the Goyim. So your next question theologically is, how did they get dispersed? Why was Israel for the last 2,000 years dispersed among all the nations? Why did that happen? The same reason that when you disobey the Lord and he disciplines you and me is the same reason he disciplined them and they committed a big time sin. The sin was the rejection of the Jewish Messiah in the first century. Jesus said this, in judgment of the religious leaders who had formerly rejected him, he who is not with me is against me. Talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, right? Not just the common person, but to the religious leaders. So here's what you have to understand. Like in America, you and I, like, could care, you know, our government is a joke, okay? Our government's a joke. And you're like, Joe Biden doesn't represent me, right? You you know, Kamala Harris doesn't represent me, but they're the government of the United States. So what you have to think about when you're looking at Israel in the first century is the same kind of idea. The people of Galilee and Judea and all over um, did not have too much control over what was happening politically and religiously in their country. So you had the elites in Israel controlling the religious aspects and political aspects of Israel, much like the elites control it today. And so that, this is where the church failed in its differentiation between the religious leaders and the general population. The general population loved Jesus. They loved him to death. They saw him and hailed him as the Messiah. But it was the political elite that rejected him. But they represented the nation. Hence, the same principle applies today. When the Biden administration does stupid things, even though you and I didn't vote for it, like getting involved in the World Health Organization to make our medical decisions, that gets cursed of God. When they turn their backs on Israel, like the Biden administration is doing today, they make that decision. You and I didn't make that decision, but we suffer the ramifications for it. Okay, the same is true in Israel. So that's why you don't, the, the church would just broad brush all the Jews and say, well, they all rejected him. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It was just the elite, the religious elite. So this is who he's talking about, okay? Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy for we for, will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy, the, the, the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. And when he speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Now, what is this? This is what we call the unpardonable sin, or, or, or the other term is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is a sin that cannot be, that cannot be um, committed today by anybody. 
It was a nationalistic sin by the religious leaders of Israel. Okay, what was it? Well, they had three witnesses given to them in the first century by God. The father's witness was John the Baptist, okay, and the Old Testament. John the Baptist witnessed, prepared the way for the Messiah. And he did his job, and they cut his head off, right? The religion, the, the, the elite did, right? Okay. Second person of the Trinity, the Messiah himself, through his words and through his actions, is t- a testimony to Israel that he is the one. Before Abraham was, I am. Claimed to be Yahweh, was doing the works and saying the things that Yahweh would say. That was rejected. And that's why he says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven. But then the third witness was the witness of the Holy Spirit upon Israel. So you have all three persons of the Trinity. And what was happening is Jesus, in the kenosis, in his self-limitation of his deity, he didn't cease to be God, he just limited those attributes to the will of the Father. So he, he would only access the deity and do things according to the will of the Father, and the power through the Holy Spirit worked through him to do the miracles. Okay, so the miracles that he was doing were testif- being testified by the Holy Spirit to his person, that this is the one true Messiah, here's the God-man. When Israel looked at Messiah's works, they could not deny that he was doing miracles and messianic miracles. So what they had to come out with religiously is just like a spin doctor in politics where we can't deny, we can't deny the power, but we're going to attribute the power to Beelzebub. That was the unpardonable sin because it's the third witness of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to call the powers that he was doing and attribute it to the devil for the nation of Israel, that's it. Now, it didn't permanently cut Israel off. It caused them a, a temporal judgment upon the nations, Okay? It, couldn't, it didn't mean that individual Jews couldn't be saved, because they did. That's what the book of Acts is about. They could be saved, but the nation would be judged for this official rejection. Just like if Joe Biden does something stupid, um, like they do like almost every day, right? Like every day, we're going to be judged for it as a nation, right? That's, that's kind of how it works, So the unpardonable sin cannot be committed individually by a person today. It could only be committed by national Israel when Messiah was on the ground, them watching him do the miracles. And he says, when you see that and you say it's of the devil, that's it, blasphemy. And that's not forgiven. So he says, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either, either in this age or in the age to come. Now that phrase, in this age or the age to come, is a Jewish idiom. That's how they spoke. And they only talk about two ages, the age they lived in and the Messianic age. And the idiom, you don't want to press it too hard because the idiom just means never. There is no return when Israel does this There's no return from the temporal judgment that's going to come upon her. Now, that doesn't, again, this doesn't mean that God is rejecting Israel outright. It means that a judgment is going to come. Okay? And and there's no getting out of this. 
You can escape it personally by coming to faith in the Messiah and being baptized and identifying with the Messiah in the book of Acts. Okay, because they said he has an unclean spirit. That's what they were attributing the works to. Okay, so Jesus then pronounces judgment on the first century generation and Israel. The men of Nineveh will rise up. Who are the men of Nineveh? Gentiles, goyims, will rise up in the judgment of what generation? The first century generation, this generation, and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation, this first century generation, and condemn it. For she came to her ends of the earth, to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. To whom much is given, much will be required. He's basically saying, look, man, these Gentiles are believing and they have less information than you guys. So hence, you reject me, he's saying, your penalty will be stiffer because you knew better. And did the religious leaders know who he was? Absolutely they knew who he was. He, 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 and how do we know this? Jesus informs us in a parable that they didn't know. This is his son, and let's kill him. That's what they said. So Jesus indicates they knew who he was. So here's where the judgment comes. Now, I want you to pay particular attention to this. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation is near. When did it happen? It started around 67, uh, 67 68 uh, A.D., okay? The Roman armies, uh, uh, the, the, the Jews had started a rebellion. The Roman armies then circled Jerusalem, okay? And so one of the signs when he said, not one stone will be left upon another, he told the disciples, they asked him, well, what was the, what's the sign that the destruction of the temple will happen? He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies. Well, anyway, they surrounded Jerusalem 67, 68 B.C., uh, A.D., sorry, and um, they were sieging Jerusalem, and then their supply lines broke. The Roman supply lines broke, and they needed more, so they had to back off of the siege. And many people that, that understood what Jesus said left, and they went to Pella and hid. Then uh, Rome regrouped and came back in 70 AD under Titus. Vespasian was his father. They first started the siege. Titus comes in, and then some of his soldiers get out of control and they burn down the temple. They burn down Jerusalem and they kill about, Josephus says about 1.2 million Jews at the time. And that is what Jesus predicted. That, that Jerusalem, the temple, would be destroyed because of the rejection of the Messiah. But there's one more aspect I have to bring out. And he says this in verse 24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword 70 AD happened, okay, 1.2 million Jews died, and be led away captive into all nations. So we call this the dispersion of Israel, the diaspora, okay, that they're scattered among the nations. They were kicked out of the land because of this rejection of the Messiah. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. When does that happen? The second coming. Who controls the Temple Mount? Gentiles, Goyims, the Arabs, right? They, Israel might get partial control with their temple in the future, but still it will be under control of the Gentiles until Jesus comes back at the second coming and arrests it from the Gentiles. Okay, 
So this is what happened. Messiah, then Daniel predicts this, that when Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, this is talking about the cross, and the people of the prince who is to come, that's the Antichrist, shall destroy the city. So we now know the origins of the Antichrist is Roman, okay? They're the ones who destroyed the city in 70 AD. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war, what? Desolations are determined for Israel that they're scattered through the nation. So even Daniel predicts this, that after the 70 AD thing, they're gonna be scattered. That's what you and I have witnessed in history for the last 2,000 years, until 1948, okay? And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, oh Lord God, you know. So from Ezekiel's standpoint, he's saying from a human standpoint, when you look at Israel scattered through the nations, can they be a nation again? And from a human standpoint, you would say no. You would just say no. And so it's funny, I have commentaries from the early, um, um, I've read them from the 1800s uh, before 1948, and there's like a, a sliver of commentaries out there that, say, that says one day Israel will be re- reconstituted as uh, a nation, and you're like, well, that's incredible faith, right, just to be able to say that. Uh, back then, but most of the commentaries say, uh, no, uh, God's blessings now go to the new Israel, replacement theology, the church is now Israel, and it's all assumed under the church, and that's how people thought. That's how the the Christians thought for the last 2,000 years, because when you looked at Israel, you say, no way, there's no way they can become a nation again, unless God moves. From a human standpoint, you're right, can't. But when God's working, that's what Ezekiel says, God, only you know if you're gonna do a miracle and do this. So what does God say? Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Okay, so who are the dry bones? Israel. So God is speaking now to Israel. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Now that's an end game, and the end game is regeneration, that all of Israel is is gonna be saved. But then Ezekiel, obviously through the Holy Spirit, says how it's going to happen. Now here's another passage that Paul picks up, and, and that's where we get the concept, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. That's the end game. That's what he's saying. I don't want to spend too much time on the blindness in part, but it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that God is right now blinding them. They're blinding themselves. Okay? So it's a misunderstanding. Blindness happens when you suppress the truth. You go blind. So as long as Israel continues to keep saying Jesus is not the Messiah, they blind themselves spiritually. Can you get out of the blindness? Yes. You have to see the truth and accept the Messiah, and then you can see. I was blind, and then I can see. I was dead, and now I can live. But it says in part. It's not full. Because what is the part? There's a part of Israel that continues to believe in Jesus the Messiah. And that's been going on for the last 2,000 years, but it's exploded in the last 20 to 30 years. And this is where we're getting a lot of our Jewish insight. 
So then God talks about this. He says, I will put sinews on on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you. Notice the stages. Before he puts the breath, there are stages. And you shall live. This is them in the kingdom, regenerated. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When he regenerates them, three days before the second coming. So I prophesied and I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a, a, a noise. In, sorry, not Greek, but Hebrew, it's kol. It means voice. There was a voice that said something. It doesn't say what the voice said, but there was a voice I heard, and suddenly a rattling. And the rattling has to do with a shaking of the bones. A shaking of the bones, or, or we, get the other, we can translate that earthquake. There was a great global earthquake or a global shaking of the bones. Okay? So two things, a voice and a shaking, okay? The voice and the shaking triggers four stages. Here are the stages. Once the voice has been heard, once the shaking has occurred, these things will line out. And the bones came together bone to bone. First stage. Second, indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. Second stage. And the skin covered them over. Third stage. Okay? And then the last stage, the fourth stage, but there was no breath in them. Okay? What does this mean? It is telling you that because of two things that will occur in history, a voice and then a shaking, Israel will be reconstituted, bone to bone will come back together Then the the next stage, the sinews come back. Then the skin comes back, but they're lifeless. There's no breath of life in them. And what it's saying is, I'm going to reassemble Israel back into the land from the nations, but they won't be in belief because they lack a spirit. They're a body, and you can see the body, but they don't have a spirit inside of them yet. It is saying that there's gonna be two worldwide gatherings according to scripture. The first worldwide regathering will be of them in unbelief back to the land, which is 1948. So this is what we call Aliyah. The Jews make Aliyah, okay? So this is a picture for Israel's first regathering in unbelief. So this is what we're celebrating today. You're seeing Ezekiel's prophecy come true right in your very, your life. You saw it. You saw prophecy get fulfilled, 1948. And, and what is it for? They're bringing the, the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and you can see all the passages, Zephaniah, all say that Israel is being brought back into the land to purge out the rebels of Israel. What do you mean rebels? It means the unbelievers. So Israel then is being brought back into the land for purging. And so the tribulation will be that purging, Jacob's trouble, to get out the unbelievers of Israel to where all of them are purged, two-thirds of them, Zechariah 13, and you have the one-third element left of Israel that believes in Messiah, and then all of Israel will be saved at that point in time. 
That's why God brought them back out of the nations. And that's happened in 1948. So the history there is Israel declares themselves a country at this point in time. Uh, they had to do it beyond, uh, besides what Britain was telling them and the rest of the world was telling them. I've been in that building. It's a very little small building, smaller than this, this room, actually. And, and Ben-Gurion knew that, look, we're either going to die as a nation or we're going to die uh, irregardless. They're, they're going to kill us, these Arabs. Because once Israel went back in the land, the Arabs went crazy and wanted to kill them and destroy them. And, of course, Britain had backed off on their promises and the Balfour Declaration. So Israel was stuck between a rock and a hard place. So Israel, on this day, said, we're a nation again. And, and it happened in that room right there in Tel Aviv. And, and it was a historical moment. And they knew once they declared it, they're going to war. And they did. They went to war instantaneously with the Arab nations around them, around them trying to destroy them. Obviously, this made the news. Think about this. There was no such thing as a Palestinian until Yasser Arafat claimed the name for his terroristic group. They used to call Israel Palestine because of what Hadrian did in naming Israel after their enemies, the Philistines, and that's where the term Palestine, Palestine, uh, Palestine comes from. But it used to be called the Palestine Post because they called Israel Palestine, not the Palestinians. There's no such thing as a Palestinian, by the way. No such thing. They're just Arabs or, or Egyptians. Anyway, Israel comes back, 1948, they celebrate. And they're all coming back. And a lot of them are coming back from the Holocaust, right? And, and they come back in ships and they set, resettle Israel. Israel was a dump. Israel was a desert. Mark Twain remarked that it was like the moon. It was a, a moonscape. The, the Valley of Armageddon was just nothing but a swamp and malaria because the Arabs had not taken care of the land because it's not their land. So the Israelites come back and they reconstitute Israel as a nation and they start growing crops and they start doing everything and, and create now a first world country, high in technology, high in inventions and everything else. Our medical is coming from Israel. Our, a lot of our technology is Israel. This is how they lived. When they first came back, they lived in tents, just like they lived with Moses in the desert in tents. This is how they lived in 1948 when they came back. Here are, the, here are the Jews coming back, 1948. So you can see them living in kibbutzes, living in the, the tents. Here they are, happy to be in the land because they escaped Europe. The crazy Europeans gave them over to Hitler. Let's talk about the voice then. So our best estimates, two things triggered this. God says they will hear a voice and then they will, they will see a shaking. There's two things that relate to Israel coming back into the land, 1948. Uh, let me add this. It also, these two things also start the last days, okay? Because uh, the, the disciples also ask, what is the sign for the last days? And he said, nation shall be, rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And what he said that's a Jewish idiom, a rabbinic idiom, which means world war. When you see the world go to world war, the last days has begun. It doesn't tell you when it ends. It just says that's the sign that they have begun. And isn't it funny that in concert with the last days beginning, in concert at the same time is the reestablishment of Israel by hearing the call, 
and then the shaking. The shaking, or the voice, I should say, happened in World War I. The Zionist movement now had the backing by Britain with the Balfour Declaration. And then this led to the Mandate of Palestine in, in 1922 by the League of Nations to give what? Quote, a national home for the Jewish people. Now, the Zionist movement had already been happening under Theodore, uh, Theodore Herzl in 1860 to 1904. So in the late 1800s, uh, Herzl started seeing the anti-Semitism in France and around Europe. And he says, look, man, we're not going to be able to stay here. So, the, so what the Jews were practicing is either assimilation into the culture and, and, and lose their national identity and their religion in order to survive. Or they, 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 the, the other idea was, well, we join the communists, we join the socialists, and then that way we're protected in that group. Or we just refrain from being Jews at all and we change our names and whatnot. And, and that's kind of the practice that was happening in the late 1800s with the Jews in, sorry, in Europe with the anti-Semitic growing. Okay, so then you had the Dreyfus Affair happen in France where a Jew gets accused and totally lied about and, and Herzl sees it and said, wait a second, these, these goyim are turning on us. They're gonna kill us all. And he was right. He was right. At that time, they said, if we don't do something, if we don't get out of here, if we don't go back to our homeland, these Gentiles are going to kill us. It could have been more prophetic. It couldn't have been more prophetic when Theodore hurts them. Or as Herzl said that to them. He says the aim of Zionism is to create a Jewish people at home in Palestine or Israel, secured by public law. And that's what the Balfour Declaration did. That was the voice. So it put the power behind the Zionist movement for Israel to return back into the land. So, but what happened? Britain reneged on it. Britain fell back and became anti-Semitic and, 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 and went to the sympathies of the Arabs and the, uh, the Muslims at that time and pulled back in support of Israel gaining their homeland again. So Israel backed off, sorry, Britain backed off. And guess what? It was at that time that Britain's power sunk because they didn't follow through on the Balfour Declaration. And ever since then, Britain has been nothing, nothing, no power, nothing. Remember the British Empire, how powerful it was? It came to a screeching halt when they decided to turn their back on Israel and not support their land and give it to Arabs and other people with squatters that didn't belong on that land. Britain's never been the same. And I'm afraid when we watch our administration turn their back on Israel, the same thing will happen to America as it did with the British Empire. You turn your back on Israel, you can expect a cursing from God and the end of your nation. Now, Britain exists, we know that, but they're not the power that they were once they did this. There's the Balfour Declaration. You can read it yourself. And it was written to Lord Rothschild in America. Now, there's, there's guesswork on this. I mean, this is opinion that Britain really didn't want to do this. And this is opinion. Britain didn't want to do the Balfour Declaration, didn't want to support Israel having their own nation. But the, as you can see, who is he writing to? The Rothschilds who were in the United States, in New York, and were Jewish. And they, the, Britain, the, Brit, the, Britons, uh, the British didn't want to offend the Rothschilds because they're Jewish. 
And so the idea was they did the Balfour Declaration to appease the Rothschild family. Either way, the voice was heard. And it started the, progr- the, the process. Then the shaking came. So you have the voice. The Zionist movement has now power behind it. And that voice is moving. Then you have the shaking of the bones. The bones are coming together. And that happened in World War II. Another significance. Now, again, World War I and World War II. World War II is a continuation of World War I. Okay? What did Jesus say the last days would be? He says it would start when you, when you see world wars. Okay, At the same time now, World War II is shaking the bones. It's causing the bones to rattle. Okay? And so what happened? Because of this rattling in World War II, the nations of the world, at that time, the League of Nations had failed, and then it turned into the United Nations, and America was behind the lead in this, and getting behind, once Israel said, we are a nation, Harry Truman came right behind there under amazing opposition and recognized Israel as a Jewish state. And then all the other nations fell in line at that point in time in the United Nations. And the birth, uh, the, the support of the Goyim for Israel's rebirth happened. Okay? And this was the shaking of the bones that came on there. Now, the shaking of the bones, you're like, well, what does World War II have to do with the Jews? What does World War I have to do with the Jews? World War I established the Balfour Declaration, the voice. Israel needs to go back into its land. That was the voice. What did World War II do for the Jews? What did they go through? The Holocaust. Sound, Bruce? Got it? Start again.
That was the rattling of the bones. Israel becomes a nation. Harry Truman says, I am Cyrus, leads the nations to become. And that's why a lot of America's prosperity happened because America led out in that. Not so today. Indeed, they indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. What happened? The re- after World War I and World War II, something significant changed in Judaism. Follow me. Something significant changed, especially after going through the Holocaust. And do you know what it was? This idea that our hope is lost, we ourselves are cut off, our bones are dry. Saying our bones are dry means we have no hope. What did World War I and World War II do to Judaism? It removed the messianic hope that one Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, was coming. So today in liberal Judaism, they don't even talk about a Messiah. They have removed their hope from Judaism completely. Yes, there's some conservatives that talk about that, but the most part, they don't talk about a coming Messiah anymore. It, they lost their hope in a Messiah. That's why they're saying we are cut off, we have lost ourselves. Huh. And also he said to me, prophesy to breathe, prophecy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, and an exceedingly great army. What is that referring to? It's when now, as Israel today, is a walking body. It does not have the breath of life. It means that they're not in a saved state. But God's intention, he's telling you right now that one day I will breathe the breath of life when they accept my son. And the tribulation is to press them and break the power of Israel to see that Jesus is their long-awaited Jewish Messiah. Here are the, the pleadings that Israel will make. Oh, that you would rend the heavens or tear open the sky. That you would come down finally. Do not be furious, O Lord. They're speaking to Jesus right now. Nor remember our iniquity forever. Indeed, please look. We are your people, Yeshua. Psalm 80 talks about this, the pleading. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Who's the shepherd of Israel? You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell above the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God. Return, we beseech you. Return from where? From the place that he went. You shall not see me again until you learn to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're asking now, return. We understood that you came the first time. We missed it. We assumed you stricken of God, smitten and cursed. We didn't see it. And now they're saying, return, O God of hosts. They're acknowledging the Messiah is the God of hosts. He is Yahweh. Look down from heaven and see. Visit this vine. Israel is the vine. And the vineyard which your right hand has planted. And the branch that you made strong for you. The branch is the Messiah. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. And Israel will one day come to faith in Jesus, finally. 
to wrap things up. They're in unbelief now. Our job, your job out here, is to make them jealous for what you have. You have the Jewish Messiah. You have salvation. You have the Holy Spirit, the Rakh HaKodesh in you. They don't. Your job in these last days, unlike what the church has done for the last 2,000 years, is to extend your love to the Jewish people so they may see it and wonder why. Why do you love me? Because the rest of the world hates me. And you tell them I love you because it's because of you that gave us a Jewish Messiah. I want you to know your own Messiah because he has let me, a goyim dog, into the promises of Abraham. And I want, to, I want you to know your own Messiah. If you can do that, you will fulfill your mission for the Jews. Let's make sure we do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can understand, this anniversary of, of your people, Israel. We as the church now... We're in the last days of the church, Father, and we see things wrapping up. But we know that means that you're going to start working with Israel again. That you're not done with her. Help us, Father, to provoke them to jealousy for what we have through your Messiah, your Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Help us to be kind to them. Help us to support them. And help us to stand for them amongst this evil world that comes against them. That we will stand in the gap for Israel until you take us home. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that hasn't called out to Jesus for salvation today, they would do so. Understand it. He brings salvation to anyone who wants it. If they understand he died on a cross for their sins, was buried and rose on the third day, and offers everlasting life to not only Goyim, but Jews alike, I pray they would do that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.